Listeners, you're in for a treat. I know I say that every week, right? But on this edition of Taste, you're going to meet Tara O'Grady. She's a singer, a songwriter, a jazz chanteuse. She is an author. She's a life coach. And we're going to get into all of that in the next edition of Taste. Here we go. Welcome back, everybody, to Taste. And we have a real tastemaker today with us, and that is my friend Tara O'Grady. She is a singer. She's a songwriter. She's an intuitive educator. And she's a bliss ambassador. She's released five albums of jazz, blues, and folk music. Her first memoir, Migrating Towards Happiness, the soundtrack of my spiritual awakening, was published in 2019. And she has a new memoir coming out, or actually a new book coming out, and that is called The Gods of Clown Alley is coming out on January 1st of 2023. So welcome, Tara O'Grady. Thank you. So tell me a little bit about um, the new book, because that's what's uh, immediately coming up. Uh, Really excited that you have a new book out. What was the uh, inspiration behind the new novel? It's actually another memoir. I'm following in the footsteps of Frank McCourt, where I'll probably have three books <laughs> eventually. And uh, The Gods of Clown Alley um, is the book that I always wanted to write. And it's uh, focusing on um, my Donegal mother's uh, private home care patients. Uh, so, mm. so for 40 years, she took care of seniors in the neighborhood. And that's what a lot of the Irish immigrants in my neighborhood did. Uh, so since I was eight years old, uh, she's been taking care of seniors. Uh, some of them had dementia, others were bedridden. Some of them she'd be with for a month, others 10 years. So each chapter is one of her patients and uh, the title of the book refers to how she described her job to her Donegal family. Um, they asked her what was it like to take care of these people and what the families were like, because these are inside stories of all the different um, relationships of how families interact when someone is being taken care of in their home. And my mom called it a circus. Uh, And it's devastating. It's heartwarming. Uh, You know, people die on her shift. Um, But there is humor in the book as any, you know, Irish person who writes about tragedy as well. (laughs) Um, and, and it's basically a mother-daughter trip to Sedona, Arizona, um, to a spiritual center uh, for heart healing because we, um, the reader uh, discovers that we both have broken hearts, my mother and I, and uh, the book goes on to describe how we heal those broken hearts. And it's through all the flashback stories of her patients and my life as well. Wow. So I would imagine... Obviously, some of this was grafted from your own memories of your mother doing this kind of work. And then I'm sure part of it was uh, just having conversations with your mom and getting her perspective on some of those patients and whatnot. Uh, What was that like for you to delve into your mom's life story? And then what did you learn about your own life story as doing it? Well, like I said, I was eight years old when she started taking care of uh, patients and I was in their homes. You know, these were people in the neighborhood. It, it was usually organized through the church and word of mouth in the Irish community in Queens. And um, so I got to know 
these people and their and their families well because my mother would not stop talking about every detail of it at dinner every single night because it consumed her life she would work for these people sometimes 10 12 hours a day so uh it, it's very intimate you know um uh like i said some some of the um the the stories are heartbreaking because she basically she discovered um and through writing this book i discovered that uh she she has the heart of an irish immigrant uh and and any immigrant no matter what country you're from your heart is broken because you left your homeland and you're mm. and you're coming to a new land and no matter how great your life is in the new place with with you know the people that you meet and the families that you build your your heart is still back in ireland and it's and and she left her parents there and here she's in america taking care of other people's parents so my mom left donegal at the age of 17 to come to america and she left her parents behind and here in america she was taking care of other people's parents and uh some of the uh, patients, adult children, um, weren't as loving and caring as my mother was. And so it broke her heart that, that um, some of these families uh, just wanted their own parents to um, expire, let's say, because the money was going to the home care. And my mom would have done anything to be in Ireland and Donegal with her parents and be there for them when they became ill or when they died. And so that just broke her heart. Yeah, yeah. And it's so great. And that's part of the immigrant experience, right? And the other part of the immigrant experience is you leave Ireland or wherever you came from. And then even when you come back, you don't really feel like you belong there anymore. And you feel sometimes like a fish out of water in your own adopted homeland then. And there's that kind of living, not feeling like you're totally belonging to either place because you can't go back home. And then the home that's your adopted home doesn't feel like home. And, and I'm sure that contributes to the heartbreak of your mom and, and many, uh, I, many people in the Irish American experience. Yes, I mean, even me as a child watching my mom go through that every summer, you know, she would take me back to Donegal. And uh, at the end of summer, I, I was there while they were crying at the car and my grandfather tossing holy water onto the rental car and we're not going to see them for a year. And uh, so that was even heartbreaking for me. And your, your, your heart is always torn between the two places. And you're right. You never know where you belong fully. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And then what did you get out of writing the book relative to your own heartbreak? Were you able to heal that? Were you able to make better sense of it? What was the, what was the opportunity for you as the writer in writing about your mom's heartbreak, you mentioned you also were there to address your own. So what did you come out of that writing experience with relative to your own heartbreak? Well, the writing of the book was very therapeutic and I needed to write this story. And the, the reader discovers um, what both of our, the sources of our heartache and mine had to do with um, 
a breakup that was devastating. And so in writing the book, it was very healing, but also attending the, the retreat uh, in, in Arizona that my mother and I go to. Um, so, uh, I don't want to give away all the details because it's, it's the juice of the story and it's the, and it's what the reader gets to discover. But, uh, I actually, um, I had these stories of my mother for my entire life, but then my own, uh, heartache, uh, was, uh, more recent. So I, I wove that into the story. Um, and I wrote it during, uh, COVID uh, in in um, March 2020, when I uh, got COVID immediately, I had a fever for 21 days. So I spent those two months writing this memoir. So while I was sick, I was writing about um, all the pain and the memories. And uh, so it, it was like double whammy. But, um, but there is great joy in the book. And um, I came out of it uh, calling myself a bliss ambassador. So I went from actually quite a devastating dark place where I was deeply depressed. And uh, I even had what I call my Hamlet moment, which uh, uh, to be or not to be, uh, as soon as my mind went to thoughts of suicide, I thought, whoa, this is serious. I better uh, try to help myself. And the book is basically, uh, it teaches people how to uh, self-heal and how to find light in the darkness. And there's a total connection to Star Wars and the force and the energy in the universe that combines us. So there's lots of references um, uh, to Star Wars. Um, and that ties all into my childhood as well, watching my mom with her patients and then me playing with my Star Wars toys. So there's that. <laughs> and I'm sure that you're going to be part of the May the 4th Be With You Fest, May 1st to 10th in Ireland. Yes. Uh, so I'm I'm guiding. I curated a, a tour to Ireland uh, when I discovered they were having a May the 4th Be With You Festival. I, I, I couldn't not create a tour there. I um, I work with Caddy Tours and we take groups to Ireland. And uh, for Star Wars fans, they, they know that the last two films were filmed in Kerry, also Donegal. But this festival takes place in Kerry. And uh, May the 4th is, is when it begins, but I'm taking a group uh, to carry from May 1st to the 10th. And it's not just Star Wars. It's not just the film festival. It's, it's um, the food, the music, the culture, the, the beautiful uh, beachfront properties and cliffs and the beehive huts where Luke Skywalker was located in the film and all that jazz. That's awesome. And how could people get on that tour? Uh, they, um, I have uh, all the itinerary and pricing listed on um, my websites, uh, taraogradymusic.com and butterflycoach.org or Caddy Tours Online. Uh, they can go directly to that link as well. Maybe I'll try my radio voice on. They can also call 866-387-6759, that number again. 866-387-6759. <laughs> we'll be right back. Taste Season 2 is sponsored by the good folks at Career Letters, careerletters.com. They specialize in professional branding, resume writing, LinkedIn optimization. And what a perfect time to be looking at your career, your resume, your LinkedIn profile 
is it all optimized to find that next career of your dreams? We're heading into the final months of the year. This is the time to be looking for a job now so that you can actually find and land the job of your dreams next year. Visit careerletters.com for more information. All right, we're back with Tara O'Grady. And I first came to know Tara, not only at the Irish American Writers and Artists meetings that we go to, but I also came to know her when I was the writer for the Irish Voice. And I was the music writer. And I definitely want to delve into your music career as well, because you came out with two just amazing albums, Black Irish in 2010 and A Celt in the Cotton Club, where you really did take some of the Irish melodies that everybody knows and you jazz them up. And I've just never seen that be done before. I've seen you do it live and it was really just captivating. You're just such a great singer. You've also done a lot of songs on your own in terms of writing your own albums. But I want to just talk a little bit about how you were able to transcribe Irish melodies into the jazz ones. Did you see that being a stretch or was that, no, that's pretty obvious and natural. Not being a musician, I, I, I was just fascinated with how you did that. Well, uh, it all started with Danny Boy. And uh, I had been working at Lincoln Center um, in arts and education and teaching workshops. And um, someone heard me singing in a, in a workshop room. And he was a jazz piano. And he, he said, oh, you know, you have a nice voice. Uh, and I, I, I randomly said to him, oh, I can sing Danny Boy like Billie Holiday. And the reason I guess I taught myself how to do that is because um, when I was at Irish uh, family parties and they wanted me to sing, because they knew I had a voice, uh, they always wanted me to sing an Irish song, obviously. Um, but I was interested in jazz and swing and I loved to go swing dancing. And I preferred that uh, American roots music, uh, blues and roots. Um, so, I just didn't want to sing in the Irish traditional way. So I took the most popular Irish song and I just started swinging it like Billie Holiday. And this uh, jazz pianist in Lincoln Center said, you know, you should record a full album of Irish songs and swing them like that. And and so basically he gave me the idea and I went and did it. And then after that, um, some producer in Nashville heard Black Irish and he asked if I wrote original songs. And I said, I didn't, but because I'm a writer, I sat down and wrote about 13 songs in two weeks. And I went down to Nashville and recorded my second album, which was Good Things Come to Those Who Wait. So five albums later, I uh, my most recent one is called Folk Songs, Songs About Real Folks, because I love writing about real people. And some of those stories are Irish, uh, you know, Irish people that I know. And others are just strangers who want me to write a song about um, something like I... I once wrote a song about a muffalata sandwich in New Orleans. <laughs> well, if you've ever had a muffalata sandwich in New Orleans, that is songwriting worthy. That is an amazing, amazing sandwich for sure. So I could, I could, it doesn't seem like that much of a stretch to me. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> That's great. Uh, and talk to me a little bit about the fact that you are uh, an intuitive educator and a bliss ambassador. What does that mean? Well, um, uh, I actually 
you know, I never studied music. Um, I, I, I have a master's in education. So um, I've been teaching literature and film and the arts um, at the beginning of my career. And so music just came naturally to me. And uh, uh, I went full time into it and started a band, uh, you know, around, well, I was full time with it in 2010, let's say. So for the past decade or so, I've been doing the music. But, um, you know, as with anyone, uh, they they have their ups and downs. And like I said, uh, a few years ago, I, I, I was in a deep depression. And, uh, but my intuition was uh, very strong. And uh, I have a lot of uh, precognitive dreams, which um, are the types of dreams that show you what's going to happen in the future. So I actually had a dream that led me to the awareness of the International Association for the Study of Dreams. And I attended uh, their conference in the Netherlands uh, just before the pandemic. And I discovered a community of people who study the brain and psychology. And these are doctors and scientists and therapists and even artists like myself, um, musicians and painters and all kinds of folks who use dream work to create their art. And I realized that I had a very strong intuition and I was just building it over the years. And that came with the dream work as well. And now I, uh, I teach dream work um, and it's a great source of inspiration. And a lot of us just don't pay attention to our intuition. You know, we let thoughts that cross our mind just uh, disappear and we continue on with our day. But I've learned to cultivate my intuition. And by doing so, I've been able to find uh, my life purpose and find more joy and and as i as i write in my book the gods of clown alley i i actually found out how to tap into the bliss that's at the core of our being which we have forgotten once we're born into this life we're born into this uh, physical plane and this pain body and we deal with taxes and jobs and bosses we don't like and heartache and breakups and all kinds of things, you know, the obstacles that come with life. But I've learned that every obstacle that we face uh, is there for a purpose so that we can learn uh, these lessons, these life lessons. And then my job now is to just share them. And I do it through my music and through my writing and books and tours and workshops just to help other people find joy. So that's why I call myself a bliss ambassador. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, it's really great what you just said there about, um, you know, you kind of get born and then there's the pain and the taxes and everything else like that. Uh, as a writer, I'm also obviously scribbling just like you are. And I've also taken to look at teaching others about writing and memoir writing and, and those kinds of things. And that's been my life's purpose. And one of the things that I always try to get people down to the source of is their creative spirit, right? And you think about it, for a 50-year-old person about to write their memoir, they look at a blank piece of paper and they're terrified. And then you look at them in kindergarten. And if you put a blank piece of paper in front of that person when they were in kindergarten with pencils and crayons and scissors, they would just create and they would know that whatever they created would be on their mom and dad's refrigerator with a gold star, right? So it's like, what happened to you between kindergarten and now 
that you find a blank piece of paper so intimidating? This is exactly what my new book is about. So, and this is why at my book launch, I'll be handing out yellow crayons. I already bought them. Um, you know, like you said, exactly. Just as we enter the world, uh, we're still fresh and young and our, uh, we know what our uh, purpose is, but we don't have the, the tools and the language to say, hey, I just entered this new ride and I'm gonna have a lot of fun. Um, but we, we have no uh, intimidation and uh, our creativity is bursting and our curiosity is intense and we color and we don't worry about judgment. Um, we use our crayons and we're creative. Uh, but, but there's a point where we, once we go to school and about the age of six, <laughs> when we're sat in those rows and told what to do and, and you're graded and judged, uh, we shut down. We start to put up the blocks. We start to protect. Exactly. And once you shut down that creativity and that one teacher tells you you're not good enough, uh, this is not an A, it's a B or a C, you do shut down and you protect yourself and you get into protection mode. And Absolutely. My, 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 my memory was fifth grade. I wrote my memoir and I got the word F on the paper and then underneath it in red pencil was the word moron. Oh, no. And that took me out of the game for 20 some odd years. And I, in my memoir writing classes now, I say, you know, that's a very dramatic example, <laughs> but we all have something like that. You could probably go back to that, to your point, that part of your time in your life where you were creating, not being judged, not being graded. And then that first time when you didn't get the grade or the result you wanted from something you created take the case that that's the person in your fifties that's running the show right now. It's like, it's a six-year-old or a five-year-old that was then told this isn't good enough. And that's now you're like a goldfish swimming around in this toxic water of your own design that you, you've let your creative spirit be shackled and diminished by that one off comment that would have colored maybe the rest of your life. And part of the memoir writing that I, I do in my classes is to identify where that happened and then walk away from it. It's just that simple. And, um, you know, people think, oh, I'm just going to go into this course and be inspired and et cetera, et cetera. But it's really, no, it's like, I address why haven't you written the memoir already? And it's because you've, you've almost been frozen in time in your creativity from that time you were totally creative to when you were to your point in your rows and your judge and it's it's fascinating how you can and it's then very rewarding i would imagine in your own work it's very rewarding when you can unleash or unshackle somebody from that so that their natural creative self can emerge well this is what i've been doing lately um especially as uh what i call a butterfly coach um if you go to my website, butterflycoach.org, uh, it's basically a life coach, but for to help adults awaken their creativity and spread their wings and morph and transform into the butterfly that they were destined to be. Love it. When I was a child, I was always comparing myself to a, uh, to a caterpillar in a cocoon. And I, I understood, like, this is where my intuition came in. Even as a child, I knew I was trapped inside this cocoon and that I was still developing and I had a lot of uh, growth to do. And, and I, I, I knew that when I got older, 
and that I would uh, grow my wings and become what I was destined to become, that then I would be able to fly above the nonsense. And, uh, you know, you have to let go of that negativity and anything that doesn't serve your greater purpose. So, of course, like everyone is dealing with this on their life journey. And I'm just helping people uh, in my workshops and in my tours and with the books and the music, I'm just uh, teaching them how to, you know, move away from that. It's basically fear, moving away from the fear and and uh, taking chances and uh, awakening that creativity and that inner child again so that you can pick up those crayons and just create. And you don't have to be a writer. You could be baking a cake. You could be decorating your house or designing your garden, whatever it is that's creative and that you're interested in and not listening to that inner critic or that teacher from third grade or, or the parent or whoever it is that held you down because those are just barriers and obstacles that that you have to knock down and move on to be that that genius that I, I do believe that we're all genius every one of us and I, that's why in the it's called the gods of clown alley because I tell people on the first page um, we are all gods and goddesses but we have forgotten that we are these brilliant beings of light and creativity and energy and, and we have so much potential and and we shut it down and we contain it and so this story reveals how to unleash that genius and how to find joy and so i'm really hoping that my book is going to help other people heal and and find joy in their life well can't wait for that to come out on january 1st that's awesome so uh the genesis of this taste podcast was sort of inspired by and also maybe a little bit of a sly poking fun of uh, the Stanley Tucci book, Taste. And I just was like so admiring of the way he talked about his Italian culture and how the food was such a part of the Italian culture and it was so loving. And Ireland is not always known for their food, but people that have been back and forth to Ireland can see some amazing, or even both sides of the Atlantic can see that it could, does rise beyond the chip fish and chips and the pub food. So when you're either cooking or when you're recommending restaurants on either side of the Atlantic uh, from our Irish uh, culinary brothers and sisters, um, what do you usually recommend or what do you even cook at home? Well, let's just say, yes, I, I grew up on the, the, the potato and the, the roast. Yeah. And the, the basic, uh, the bread and butter and all. Um, but, um, there is a richness to, you know, my memories, I write about it in the book, my memories of sitting at my granny's table in Donegal on the farm, you know, I'd be out in the field on the tractor with my grandfather, uh, and I'd help him pick the potatoes. I would collect the eggs from the hen house and I'd help granny milk the cows. And sometimes my uncle would catch fresh fish and we'd have that. So, you know, we were eating off the land and, Yes, it was basic, but it was fresh, right from the earth and right from the sea. And there's nothing better than that. So um, that has evolved now. Um, now that I take groups to Ireland on tours, I've, I've focused on some of them being foodie tours. Uh, so, for example, I had um, there was a chef from uh, New Orleans, Dickie Brennan. He, he owns, uh, you know, the Brennan's uh, group of restaurants in in the French Quarter 
And he told me he had never been to the north of Ireland. Like he'd done golf tours in the south and whatnot, but he'd never seen the north, Belfast area and the rest. And so I designed a tour for him uh, based on food. And every day we met with local chefs and we had foodie walking tours and we were tasting all kinds of things. And he got to cook with people and whatnot. And uh, he was blown away uh, by the caliber of the feast. And, uh, you know, the young uh, chefs and culinary artists in Ireland have gone abroad to study and they've discovered to that they have these incredible uh, the sea and the land, uh, the fresh ingredients, the farm to table. Um, yeah, exactly. It is so rich. And so I find the food in Ireland much better than in America. And you could go to Ireland and just sit in the pub and have a sandwich and a cup of soup. And my God, it's better than anything you'll ever have in a five-star restaurant over here. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, it's definitely, there's such foodiness going on there. We we're an originator of farm to table, which is obviously sweeping the nation now. And even I was just over in Ireland last week and I went to Gallagher's boxy house in the temple bar area. And what that man does with a potato, you know, the, the boxy pancakes and the, and the boxy loaf, it was just tremendous. And it's, it's just so flavorful. And, you know, as other nationalities are coming into Dublin and Galway and, and other areas, they're bringing their own spices and culture into that as well. So I, I do think that the the traditional pub stuff, and I 100% agree with you, just a soup and a sandwich in an Irish pub, there's nothing better. And I did notice this last time around, because it's been a few years since I've been there, how there are some, you know, new, you know, Algerian restaurant in Dublin, and, and they're just all mixing with the Irish people and creating an ever-evolving palate, which I think is really really amazing as well. So Tara, we've come to the end of the road. Let me have you just share with the group uh, of listeners what, how we can get a hold of you. And again, what are the tours coming up and, and what's your website? Yes. Yeah, so if you want to join uh, my, my um, May the 4th be with you uh, film festival in Kerry, that's, that's May 1st to the 10th. I'm also taking a group to Tuscany and there'll be plenty of food on that tour. It's called The Art of Dreaming and it's uh, painting and writing workshops while we taste the foods of uh, Tuscany. That's April 14th to the 22nd. Uh, those are all on my my websites, uh, taraogradymusic.com and butterflycoach.org or directly at caddytoursonline.com. And then of course, uh, I'll be letting people know um, when the book signing and book launches, but it should be available on Amazon and all the rest. Uh, the Gods of Clown Alley coming out uh, January 1st in the new year. I'm very excited because I just hope it brings people joy and we all need some mindfulness and some help with our mental health, no matter what level you're at. Everybody's looking for some joy. I totally agree. And it's, I think it's very brave uh, of yourself. I, I had my good buddy Seamus Kelleher on a couple of uh, weeks ago. And, you know, it's not always something that we weren't raised talking about mental health and being gentle with yourself. And for especially people of Irish descent or of our Irish themselves that use their platform to really promote that, which is not always always talked about in our families. I really applaud that. So thank you for your bravery and what you said in this 
podcast, but then also the, the honesty, I'm sure, which is in your book, I'm sure that is going to reach and help people. So it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thanks, Mike. All right. Have a good day. You too.